Scott, is, is that you, my friend? Yeah. Hi, Tyrone. Yep. Right, found great. it. We're ready to go, brother. Hey, um, hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to uh, Kentucky tennis legend, Scott Hill from Henderson, Kentucky. Uh, just give you, I want to give everyone a little bit of a rundown on Scott's background. And then Scott and I are going to have a discussion uh, around his tennis career. And uh, I'm just really thrilled that Scott Hill has taken a, a few minutes tonight uh, to share uh, his tennis journey with us. Uh, Scott is from Henderson, Kentucky. Uh, he's a three-time high school tennis uh, finalist. Uh, he's a state high school tennis singles champion. Uh, Scott went on to play college tennis, and he went on to the IMG Academy and held numerous roles there. Uh, he's taught professionals from all over the world. Uh, he's played uh, many great players. And uh, what's so amazing about Scott is just he's a great person. Uh, he's got a kind heart, and uh, he has a lot of Kentucky connections. He has a lot of connections throughout the South and the world. And I'm just thrilled, Scott, to have you on tonight. Thanks, Tyrone. I really appreciate it. It's a privilege to be with you tonight. <clears throat> Thanks for the time. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Uh, <clears throat> what I wanted to do, if you're okay <clears throat> with it, kind of start out with your how you got involved in tennis as, as, as a youth. Sure. Um, my dad was um, umpiring a baseball, Little League baseball game. And um, he used to line the fields before the game, and we had a, a couple of extra hours before the game started. And uh, there was a little tennis court uh, right next to the the baseball diamond, and it was uh, an old court that was made of asphalt, and it had a fence that was literally a chain-link fence where, like, if you hit the ball in the net, it would stick, you know, and uh, it was uh, kind, of a, kind of primitive, but, you know, it, that's the same height. The lines are this measure, measured correctly, and and uh, had about five feet behind the baseline. But uh, it was a great place to start out. And so um, my dad really, we all started at the same time. My my dad, uh, Coach Butch Hill, and my brother uh, Greg Hill, and myself, we all started out at that time. And uh, so we all started out together. And my brother's uh, four years older than me. So um, he picked it up a lot faster and a lot quicker. And um, he's always been a huge asset uh, in my tennis and in and, and, and just my career and kind of following his, in his footsteps. Um, but he kind of got the ball rolling uh, and then I followed suit. And then because the two of us started to get good, my dad ended up uh, really catching the bug and then, became a USPTA uh, pro level two uh, certified coach and uh, ended up having a, a big junior tennis program in our hometown of Henderson, Kentucky. And uh, he developed a couple of state champions just from that little um, program that he had of 30, 40 kids. So that's kind of where it started right there in a, a little asphalt tennis court next to the baseball diamonds uh, that my dad did uh, in his off times. Hey, Scott, give us your dad's name again and, and tell everyone kind of the impact he had and, you know, and his example by being a coach and sure. Um, and with you, you boys, and I know your brother's a great player. I played him in Ashland one time and got a tennis lesson from him. <laughs> I, player. I just started learning how to play and I ran into Greg Hill, uh, who happened to be Texas A&M at the time mm -hmm. and a real, real, real stud, great player. Uh, and he won that tournament, I believe. I know he might have beat Gary in the final. I can't remember, but he was a heck of a player. So tell us a little bit about your dad. I met him also out there playing a lot of the USTA Kentucky tournaments, and he was always a gentleman, uh, just a really cool guy. So if you want to, yeah, I was I was really lucky. My dad was awesome. He's my hero. Um, you know, he he got everything started. He was a a basketball player uh, by nature coming out of Kentucky, you know, a lot of athletes uh, gravitate towards basketball. And he uh, was on a division one full scholarship to Murray state. He played for Murray state for four years. I think his uh, freshman year, they got to the NCAA and lost to uh, Loyola of Chicago in overtime. Uh, and they went on to win the whole 
in NCAA tournament that year. So um, he was a really good basketball player. So he was a good athlete by nature. So he just gravitated towards tennis. Uh, he just loved the, the competitiveness of it. Um, just the socializing, meeting new people. He was very outgoing, loved to meet new people and uh, loved to help people. That was one of his passions. Um, you know, as a deacon in the Baptist church, uh, he was very faith oriented and, and uh, so I grew up in a Christian household, which was very influential in my life. And um, he's, you know, he's my hero. He uh, he got us started basically, you know, on, those, on that tennis court there and uh, had his own program and uh, was a, a basketball player by nature for Murray State. Um, so uh, then he ended up, once Greg and I moved down and started working for IMG down here in Bradenton, Florida, um, he and my mom uh, decided to move down because it's such a, uh, one of the top 10 fastest growing cities in America for like right. the last 10 years. And um, it's a beautiful area, you know, 10 minutes from the, the golden beaches. And um, so he, they followed us down and, uh, they, they moved uh, to Bradenton about five minutes from the academy. And um, he's uh, even here when he relocated, he started a, a youth ministry uh, where he'd just walk the streets and witness to people. And uh, he um, bought a big van so that he could start taking little, little kids to church. He'd pick them up on the street and, and I'd, uh, he was a real estate guy, and um, and I, uh, he would take me to the projects a lot of times, and and he'd just go in and and people that needed a, a new stove or didn't have a uh, a washer or dryer or something like that, you know, he he would put me in his truck and we'd go to the used appliance store, and you know, he he he'd buy these people, you know, strangers basically. They weren't his tenants. Um, and uh, he would just uh, he would just love to help people. He loved people. And um, so he had his own little uh, tennis program going on. Mm. And uh, everything that he did was always based around bringing people closer to Christ. So uh, he even did a, a fundraiser with Nick one time for a little girl who was in an accident and was crippled. And, and they raised $20,000 in one night. Uh, to buy a, a wheel accessible van uh, for, for her to be able to tran you know get around transportation. That is a testimony in itself, right there. I really appreciate you sharing. With you. Uh, it's great to know the impact you know that parents have on their children in tennis. Yeah, and that all, it's, it's been amazing, amazing, and and I wanted to, you to share that with everyone because I'm very lucky, very lucky. It's a motivator for all of us. <clears throat> It sounds like your dad really, uh, he was, he was a dad, but he was kind of an angel to others, man. I mean, he really went above and beyond to tell He was. Him. Yeah. He, he, uh, even with this young girl, um, he, the mother had to work. She was a single mother. Um, so he would actually go pick her up. Uh, and before they bought that, got that van, he would load her, load her up in his tr pickup truck and drive her 45 minutes to therapy every day of the week um just to help out and uh it was just uh that's just, pretty pretty amazing yeah hey scott I, I know that he impacted you uh, tremendously him and your brother that led you on uh from those little uh, asphalt courts there at the baseball field mm -hmm. uh you became quite a competitor following your brother's footsteps as well mm -hmm. and you three uh, high school finals. I saw. I read it correctly on the NCAA on the uh, KHSAA Kentucky High School uh, Tennis Association, mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky High School Athletic Association, rather. And you ended up making three finals. It looks like 1983. You made the singles final against Charles Beckman at Trinity. Uh, was that your sophomore year? Yeah, that was my sophomore year. That was his senior year. Um... It was a finals that started outdoors on the courts of the uh, University of Kentucky. Um, I was up 5-3. It started to rain. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we got moved indoors uh, to the Lexington Tennis Club, and their courts were just lightning fast. Yep. And he was a huge serve and volleyer. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a I had two break points at at uh, at five three uh, to take the first set, and um, I just I remember both points vividly. He, he just kicked the ball up high to my backhand, mm-hmm. and just closed in on the net. You know, mm-hmm. I I wasn't able to to pass him, and so he ended up winning that first set. Uh, it was like. 10-8 in the tiebreaker mm. and uh, in the second set I, I kind of lost a little bit of my mm-hmm. my mojo you know a little bit of my momentum uh, and then the second set was like 6-3 well, so, that was a great experience and, and you learned from that and came back in 84 <laughs> next year and it looks like you won that championship and defeated Rocky Mason and Henry Clay in the final that's correct Rocky was a good friend of mine at the time. We played doubles together, so I knew his game very well. And uh, came out, started a little slow. He won the first set six three, um, and there were TV cameras and everything. And <clears throat> he let a lot of that distractions get to him, and uh, he was yelling at the cameraman that were too close to the court, and and so it got into his mind a little bit. Uh-huh. And um, I just kind of stayed the course and held my composure and, and it came back and ended up winning six two six three. Uh, you think that you think the year before by playing Beckham in the final and, and you know do you think that helped prepare you a little bit? You know oh, there's no doubt about it. Hey Todd hey, hey, welcome, back. welcome back brother. Um thanks buddy. Hey let's pick up where we left off. I know we had a little disconnect so I'm not even hey, sure where we got disconnected. No worry. Um uh, you were involved with Rocky Mason. You had just defeated him in the finals of the 1984 right. championship. And we just talked about your match the year before with Charles Beckman, where you came up a little short, and you said you thought right. that really helped prepare you for that final. Yes, there's there's no doubt that that tournament in itself, it has a lot more pressure uh, than a lot of uh, the junior tournaments. Um just because of uh, what it represents, you know, your entire state for high school. Um, and, for example, uh, when I played uh, Ray for Leafs the next year. Yeah, 1985. I was going to say mm-hmm. you played him in the finals. Again. That's, that's right. Player. Yep. He's a good friend a Good friend of mine. Uh, we ended up playing doubles in a lot of national tournaments and did a lot of traveling together. Um, for example – that tournament in the finals in 85 I won the first set and then he got real hot and came back and and beat me in two straight and then uh and then two weeks later when we played the Joe Creese in qualifying uh which starts your entire junior junior tournaments because you have to qualify for the southerners to get to the nationals Uh um just two weeks later I beat him 6-1 6-1 just because of the, the different circumstances. Right. Know? Yeah, there's a different type of pressure in that state final because it's – It really is. All, all tournaments really? are challenging, but that one is one that it's kind of like the state championship. It's kind of like the, the KHSAA big trophy. It just puts a little added pressure on. And, it does. Uh, most <clears throat> kids can't – I mean, the majority – I mean, only two make the final, right, out of all the regions sure. in the state. Right. There's 120 counties for those that don't know in Kentucky. And they basically, it comes down to two players, one player from each team in the final of 120 counties that had to qualify through districts, region, and then the state, right? Correct. uh, So it's quite an accomplishment just just to make the state tournament, let alone be in the finals three years in a row like you did. So pretty fascinating. And and I knew Charles Beckman. Mm -hmm. I played him before, great guy. And then Rocky, I knew Rocky really well at the Lexington Tennis Club and Rafer. I went to Sayre High School in Lexington. I knew Rafer really well, too. Uh, all three of those are just uh, incredible human beings. So it's yeah. great that you, you got to play all three of them. And it probably the things you picked up and learned from every match you played, you learned something, right? Absolutely. That will carry you forward. And that carried you on into your college career. I mean, you went on and played uh, college tennis, uh, you know, NCAA tennis. Uh, what You want to give us a little background on that? Sure. Um, 
I took my five official visits uh, to different schools, LSU and Indiana and um, Southwest Louisiana State. And and um, I came very close to going to University of Kentucky. Um, and had I known what I'd known today, I would have definitely selected Kentucky. But at the time, Dennis Emery was just his first, I want to say his first, no more than his second year of coaching. And um, they they weren't ranked, uh, you know, in the top 25 in the NCAA. And I wanted to choose a school that uh, was top 20. So University of New Mexico was ranked 17th at the time. And, um, and plus, at the time, I actually wanted to get out of state. <clears throat> I just wanted to go west. I actually wanted to go to a California school, you know, Pepperdine or UCLA or something like that. Um, but New Mexico was the highest ranked school out west that uh, um, that had a great schedule. You know, we, we played Pepperdine, UCLA, USC, all those top schools on our schedule. And so um, that's the decision that I made. But had I, you know, looking back on it, you know, I just told Dennis, uh, I guess, two weeks ago that, you know, had I known that he was going to turn that program around and within three to five years, they were ranked in the top 20. And then during his coaching tenure, um, he pretty much dominated, you know, stayed in the top 20 for decades and uh, did a marvelous job of of, uh, basically not only recruiting, but fundraising. I mean, that was one of his strong suits. Um, He was able to fundraise and get the Hillary Boone Tennis Center built, Mm -hmm. uh, get all the new um, courts resurfaced, and he turned that program around uh, faster than anyone I've ever seen in college tennis. I mean, they went basically from a below-average team to you know a top 10 national contender under under his coaching and so um you know had i had i known that i had had a crystal ball uh i would have chosen you know to to play for kentucky and i would have stayed home in state which would have actually been smarter i would have developed a lot more relationships that would have helped me through life uh Instead of being out there in Albuquerque, you know, which is uh, basically I was there for one year and um, the coach transferred and uh, he went to University of Minnesota. Right. uh, So when Rafer came out the year, the next year, um, he actually ended up playing at University of uh, Minnesota under David Getz, who was our head coach. That's interesting because Rafer... I remember when he left uh, Sayre, he ended up playing for the same coach you had in New Mexico that ended up going to Minnesota then, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And uh, so you had a, a career there, and then you ended up uh, move, coming back to Louisville. Is that right? I did, yeah. I, I, um, I kind of I had a really bad injury. Um uh, in the middle of the season, uh, in in the fall, in in college tennis, in the fall, it's it's all tournaments. You play tournaments. You don't start your dual matches until the spring. Um, and so I actually had had won every tournament um, that we had in the fall. I was positioned to play number one. And then I was practicing, and uh, uh, I moved back to hit a deep ball, and I stepped on a ball and ripped ripped all the ligaments out, out of my right ankle. And uh, I was on crutches and uh, for half of the season. And uh, so when I came back, I was actually in an air cast. And the only mistake that I can see that, uh, my coach made and maybe one of the influences of why I transferred was I was still on my air cast and I was trying to get ready for the season because it was, it was already upon us. Mm-hmm. And he had me on the court uh, doing side to side drills, trying to get me in shape. And what happened was I overcompensated um, by putting so much weight on my left leg because my right, right ankle all my ligaments were torn that i cracked my kneecap 
in my left knee. Wow. And so um, that was really hindered me the rest of the season. Um, and then I had major surgery when I went to Louisville. Um, Rudy Ellis, uh, who was a famous sports doctor who, who did all the UofL players, um, he, he did the operation on my, on my knee and, uh, did a great job. And, and so he got me back into, into playing, you know, back up to hundred percent, uh, at Louisville where, uh, we had a really good number one player back then named Brendan Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, he did really well in the NCAAs, uh, got to the quarterfinals of the singles, mm-hmm. Um, so playing for, you know, a small school like Louisville, uh, he, he was an overachiever and really did a tremendous job and was our number one player and, uh, actually became our, our, uh, head coach because, um, I didn't have a lot of supervision that first year because the head coach at Louisville was working on his master's degree. Mm-hmm. And so he was never, ever, uh, hardly ever saw him. Right. Uh, and uh, he put everything under the assistant coach who really, you know, was only a, a beginner player himself. And so um, I kind of lost a little bit of guidance, a little bit uh-huh. of traction there during that year. Um, but then uh, the junior year, uh, Brendan actually became our, our head coach um, my my junior year. So, um, it was nice being able to play for him, and uh, I had a good friend. Uh, my doubles partner at Louisville was Rex Akarma, who went on and coached Louisville for about 20 years. Yes, I know. Yeah, Rex and I are going to do a podcast down the road here, yeah. Yeah, so, he did a fantastic yeah. job of turn, turning that Louisville program into nothing when I played for it. Uh-huh. Uh, we played at a little park called uh, Triangle Park. Oh, yeah. Uh, in downtown Louisville. That's before they built and, the Bass Road Tennis Center and all that. Yeah. And, and he, he's the one that, mm-hmm. that got all the investors, and he's the one that, that yeah. raised the money, helped raise the money to build that facility. And he had over 400 wins there as a coach. I know He, he did. Yeah, he, he did, sure did a great job with them. And I know that, um, you know, he, he is now, you know, doing a lot in tennis still. His sons are really good players as well, though. Um, yeah, he was a he was a big influence on my life. Yeah. Um, he was really a strong Christian, and we became such close friends that we would go to church. We'd be in church three or four nights a week, and um, that's actually when I started preaching. Um, I became a preacher uh, during that whole year and, and preached uh, several different churches and did a lot of speaking engagements. And I thought at that time I was called to preach. And so um, I did a lot of that. And a lot of that has to do with Rex's influence. He, he was just such a strong Christian. Isn't it amazing and, how people that touch you through tennis in so many different ways, you know, I know your dad, you know, he touched you, he did the baseball with you and then you got into the tennis and then your brother played tennis and you did the high school thing and you and Rocky, uh, you and Rafer were good friends and played tournaments and, then you went to uh, New Mexico and then ended up at Louisville and then Rex and you hit it off really big. And it... oh, those influences. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention to you, Scott, was though all those influences were just incredible that, that you, you had, you know, in every area that, that you stepped into that tennis arena, yes. whether it be in high school, whether it be in college. And then you ended up uh, getting the call from Nick Bolletieri. You want to tell us about that? Yes. Um, before I do that, I just okay. want to give kudos to uh, my junior coach, Doug Cash. Um, he was so instrumental in, in my um, early tennis development. My parents didn't have a lot of money to be sending me around to national right. tournaments and everything. So he was at, he actually had a fundraising campaign for all the members of Tri-State Athletic Club in Evansville, Indiana, which is where the only indoor closest indoor courts were from Henderson, Kentucky. Yeah, and uh, he he uh, was able to to send me to uh, the Orange Bowl, uh, the Rolex up in New York, and um, wow. 
basically all the national tournaments and all the tournaments that I really couldn't afford to go to uh, because of him. Um, I have a, a lot to, to thank him for. And he went from just becoming my coach to uh, the general manager of Tri-State and then the district manager of five clubs in the area and then the national manager. And then he ended up becoming the CEO of the largest tennis corporation in America called TCA, Tennis Corporation of America. He wow. ended up becoming the president for 15 or 20 years. And uh, his headquarters was in uh, Chicago at Midtown mm-hmm. Racket Club in Chicago. And uh, I was uh, training one of my students, uh, 14-year-old Christina Triska. And um, she turned pro at 14. And we played uh, a $100,000 tournament there at his club. And uh, he was able to come out and watch and she she grew up with uh, Anna Kornikova. They were kind of nemesis. That's cool, man. Yeah, and, that is amazing. So that kind of takes you uh, the support of Doug. You know, Doug Cash really yes. impacting you, Huge. and that led that led you from from all that support and getting your name out there, and you ended up getting that call from IMG. I guess at right. the time it was Nick Balotelli's, right? Yeah, it was January of nineteen ninety. It was around uh, January second or third. And uh, my brother was already working there, and we had both been students. I was a student in 1979 and 80 uh, before IMG was was ever built. Um, and we lived in a little 15-room motel with four or five in a room, and um, that's where it all started. And uh, we would play at a tennis club two times a week, and then three times a week we'd drive out to Longboat Key and play at the Colony Beach and Tennis Resort. Cool. Um, And that's where Nick really uh, became famous. Uh, 2020 came out and did a big thing on on the first live-in junior tennis academy. Where did Nick come from when he before he got to that academy? Was he there in Longboat Key working at that Colony? Where was he at? No, he was. uh, He came out of the Air Force Academy. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I think he was a, a, a pilot and okay. um, had a lot of discipline from the Air Force. Gotcha. And he took that discipline and applied it uh, into his junior tennis program. And so um, I remember it was probably 79 or 80, and he loaded everybody up on a school bus and drove us uh, uh to a big open field and made everybody get out Mm -hmm. and uh he started giving a speech and uh as i looked around it was just a a, a farm a farm with uh, cows and Uh and chickens and everything and in the last thing i remember i was only 14 at the time but the last thing i remember him saying is this is where our new home's gonna be and so, and we're all looking around and it's, you know, there's just nothing. There's no development whatsoever. It's just that uh-huh. everything's empty. It's r- rural. And uh, sure enough, a year later, they, they broke ground and, and, and built IMG there. And they were smart enough uh, to buy a lot of the land uh, over 200 acres um, right. so that they just started with the tennis, but they had the vision uh, to expand you know from uh-huh. from the tennis into the baseball and to the uh-huh. uh, soccer and to all the sports that you see today so, right so, I was so you were there at the very start of that then yeah amazing I, you I got was, off a bus as a young player Nick uh-huh. Volatari expressed his tennis vision to you in That's that right. open field there and then tell us kind of what proceeded from there you went and spent a couple of years there and then how did you end up uh what I know Fritz now from he's from uh, Barberville, Kentucky. Uh, he coached Susan Sloan. He was at the Lexington Tennis Club. He's a good friend of mine and yours. Mm-hmm. And you ended up working with him there, right at IMG. Yes, I did. Um, Fritz was probably I have probably five c- coaches or mentors that that really guided my my tennis career, and he he's in the top five of of, of people who. 
uh, if it wasn't for him, I would have done half of the things that I did as a, as a coaching professional. Um, he was just instrumental in, in all of my life. And we ended up uh, deciding to split uh, from IMG Politaries uh, in 94. And uh, that's when he had just finished uh, with Andre Agassi. He was Andre's head coach for three, three or four years. And once he finished with Andre, um, he came up to me one day and he said, listen, um, I'm thinking about opening up my own academy over in Boca Raton. Would you be, would you be willing to resign here from IMG and uh, go help me start, uh, you know, a dream of mine uh, with his wife, Londa. And so I said, absolutely, Fritz, uh, you know, I'll go where you go. I'll follow you. And um, uh, we ended up starting our own academy over there. And uh, we ended up having about 40 or so full-time students. And uh, we worked a little bit out of the Chris Everts Academy. And then Robert Seguso and Carling Bassett bought it. We worked for them for a little bit. And then um, we ended up working also for with along with Rick Macy. And um, it was fortunate there because Rick was training Venus and Serena when they were just 13 and 14. And uh, I got to watch him up close every day uh, developing their games. And because he had to spend so much time with them on the court all day, basically, he needed someone to run his junior program. So that's where Fritz and I stepped in and, and uh, ran his junior program uh, for him so he could focus on the Williams sisters. And so um, that was for until 97. And then in 97, we got a call from IMG and they had heard how well we were doing and how many kids we had. And they asked us if we would be willing to merge uh, back into IMG and to bring all of our students with us. And so we discussed it and decided uh, and talked to the parents and see if they were willing to, to move with us. And, uh, you know, 90% of them said, absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to, to, to go with you to IMG. So, so we ended up merging our, our Academy into IMGs in 97. And so, um, you know, all of that has to do with Fritz. He, he's just right. phenomenal. Uh, just his- yeah, he's a he's an amazing guy. I tell you, he uh, he had a huge impact on my tennis. Uh, I started playing at age twenty three, as a lot of people know that listen have yeah, listened. And he five. started at twenty seven. Yeah, he started at twenty seven. Yeah, and he both were basketball guys. Yeah, he played for Georgia. Uh-huh. He played at Georgia, and he, you know, at the Lexington Tennis Club, we would hit and. I know at the time he was coaching Susan Sloan, who turned Correct. out to be quite a player. She was ended that, up. That's how he developed the relationship with Nick. Was he would take yeah. Susan down there to train for competition? Um, because you you know out of Kentucky, once you reach a certain level, you just you have to go elsewhere for, for competition. And so um, that magnetic personality. I know you know. Oh, we were talking about that earlier. You know, he would always dress in all white or all black, and he, he would walk into a room, and he just kind of – when he walked in, everybody just kind of looked and stopped and listened. You that's, know? that's absolutely correct. He he had an aura about him um, where he was like a, a movie star and like E.F. Hutton. When he spoke, everybody listened. He was very wise. He was very laid back. Um, he didn't have the intensity of a, a Nick Bollettieri. He had his own style, his own approach, and it was very, very successful. Yeah, and he was one of the guys you wanted to do well for. He, that was kids I, gravitated to when him. When I hit with him, I always wanted to hit the ball better. You That's know, because, right. You know, in the same way when he would – I think we would battle each other and have fun. We mm-hmm. just uh, enjoyed each other's – we liked to compete, but we liked to, you know, just talk about <laughs> – game and enjoy the game and i think that translated to other people that was around him you know absolutely yeah that aura, you know that, that aura and the, his ability to draw a lot of people not only juniors but adults um when uh, uh when i was at uh, uh Balateri's, he was in charge um of the ad- adult program and so when he went on the road with andre 
he uh, asked me to fill his position as the tennis director of the adult program. And he took that program from, you know, 10 adults per week to 50, 60 adults per week. And uh, for the first time, um, we grossed over a million dollars in one year, which was, you know, big back then. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, all that has to do with Fritz, because everybody wanted to, to come to Bradenton and just be under his guidance, under his tutelage, uh, just be around him. He was so magnetic and people loved him because he loved people. He did. He gave, he just loved, he wanted to see people do well and he cared, cared about people. He did. Got, you've got a lot of those same traits. I can tell it coming through the phone and just the interactions I've had with you. You've been really influenced a lot of people. Who are some of the pros? I know, uh, I know Maria, you actually brought her to Lexington to her first tournament. I did. That correct? Yeah, okay. I took her, I took her to her very first pro tournament uh, at University of Lexington or University of Kentucky at Lexington. Dennis Emery was running the tournament and um, that was her first pro match ever. And back then they were on a, a limited, you could only play, I think, eight tournaments at that age because of the Jennifer Capriati rule. You know, she turned pro at 14 and then did really well, won a couple grand slams, but got really burned out right. and had, you know, some personal issues. And a lot of it was said to have been because of the pressure that was put on her at too young of an age. Right. So they, they made a whole new rule where you couldn't turn pro until you were 18 years old. And uh, that was kind of the Jennifer Capriotti rule. Right. And I think that benefited a lot of juniors from turning pro too early getting burned out or that's right Kentucky basketball has a one and done they play one year of college and it's great for a few of the players they they do make it and we've had several make it but several have not made it you know and sometimes you know I could see young tennis players at a really young age there's several that did did go directly pro I guess Pete Mm -hmm. Sampras Mm -hmm. uh, Andre Agassi uh, Michael Chang, to name a few, That's right. but there's a lot that have done it. It didn't work out for them, right? Uh, and, yeah, more, a lot more that didn't make it than, yeah. than did, you know. Yeah. So, uh, suppose so you were able to bring Maria Sharapova up there. You were actually on the same tennis courts you won the state high school championship at. Yeah, those and were the same courts. Was, mm-hmm. On the same courts with um, Maria Sharapova at a really young age. And uh, how did she do in that tournament? you recall? Yeah, sure. Um, I remember very specifically because um, <clears throat> I woke up that, well, actually, uh, her father and I were good friends. We went out to dinner uh, the, the night before, and uh, we woke up the next morning, and I came down to the lobby. The lobby was packed. Everybody was watching the TV. It was 9-11. Oh, yes. We watched the planes crash into the, right. the World Trade Centers all in the lobby of the Players Hotel there um, in Lexington. And so um, that was a huge deal because I had sent some players to the airport uh, to, to head on to the next tournament. And next thing I know, I get a call from the vice president of IMG saying, you know, go, you got you to gotta go get your players uh at the uh, airport go get them right now because all the airports are closed down and so um it was just you know devastating in the middle of a tournament but again under the experience and leadership of someone like dennis emery um a lot of tournaments were called off uh, but he um he went ahead and he made everybody feel calm and confident and uh and we never missed a beat. You know, we just continued play through it and uh, turned out to be a great tournament. But, yeah, she lost her first round. But it was a good experience for her. I mean, you oh, know. absolutely. That, yeah. Yeah, even the greatest of the greats, if you go with Roger Federer and, and yeah. Rafa Nadal. And Got to start some. Yeah. Everybody loses when you're learning, right? Absolutely. And that's part of your growth. If you can't handle – and don't come back stronger and you don't keep rising, you're not going to reach your potential. And champions know how to get knocked down and get back up. Would you agree with that statement? Well, yeah, because they're the, the great ones, they learn from their defeats. Adversity, yeah. Instead of uh, 
getting them down and thinking about all the bad things that happen. They think about, okay, why did I lose this match? You know, what do I need to improve on? What, what can I do to take myself to the next level? And Pete was a good, good example of that. It was Maria's, you know, we're, are all great players. They use uh, losses as motivation and, in a, and a, a way to find out what uh, weaknesses they need to work on so that they can, you know, take their game to the next level. And, hey, Scott, uh, when, he, when it comes to a player like her, I just got to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Did she hit the ball that hard in practice, like constantly? Is that her? How, how did she have that eye of the tiger, man? I, I mean, tiger, she just seemed to, of all the women I've watched, I know uh, Serena knocks the cover off of it as well. Right. But uh, what what about <clears throat> her? I mean, is that just in her DNA or is that just how she practiced her? What, what are your thoughts around Maria Sharapova and it, her attacking the ball? It's both. It's, it's just the way uh, me- mentally, um, subconsciously, that's just her approach. Um, you know, her father did, didn't know a whole lot about tennis. That's why he always took, took her to, uh, you know, the best coaches he could find. Um, that's why he brought her to Boletari's. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, but that's something you're born with. Um, you can try to teach that into a player, but they either have that inner drive and that willingness to sacrifice with their diet, with their off-court conditioning, with all the small details that add up to make a huge difference, you know, from, mm-hmm. from stretching to uh, training correctly to getting proper rest um, mm-hmm. and playing a, the uh a conducive tournament schedule where you're not getting burned out yep. too, too much. So there's a lot of factors that go into people fans can't see behind the scenes. So many, so many. And I was going to tell, and I, just as someone still playing at turn 60, me, I know that I have to really work harder now to play just because I have to keep my body in as good a shape as I can. I got to watch still what I eat. I got to go to the gym four or five days a week. Right. I still got to stretch. I do hot tubs. I mean, yeah. you know, I've been hurt and hurt every limb in my body, right? Mm-hmm. But I still coming back. I could easily, you know, I lost forty percent of the cartilage in my left knee. I got a torn, partially torn right rotator. Why do yeah. I keep playing this game, Scott? Why, why do you think we play this game? Because you love it. It's I love pa- it. Man. It's a passion. It's something yep. you eat and breathe and sleep. Yes. And uh, we're it's... having a podcast tonight because of <clears throat> one thing that you and I have in common that has got us here talking on Sunday night at 6.35 Eastern Standard Time, and that's our love for the game of tennis, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, it's hey a man, passion that runs deep. on here with me too, brother. And I was going to ask you just a couple more. Uh, who else influenced you at IMGA? Uh, players that you bumped into? Uh, I, I know you mentioned a couple to me earlier, but what, what are your thoughts around some players that you just, you know, as you were coming through, and just seeing other players around you, and you've coached a lot of great players too. Yeah, Who impacted you. You know, name three or four. People. Well, I um, after Serena won her first Grand Slam, because I, I believe because I had known her at Macy's, and her father had seen me run the program uh, for Rick um, at uh, Macy's, I became good friends with the father over there. And I uh, had introduced my parents to him, and they had a connection. And so I remember the first day that he brought her to IMG, um, you know, there was a plethora of coaches uh, that they could have chosen. Um, but Richard said, no, the only, the only coach my daughter gonna, is going to be trained under is, is Scott, Scott Hill, because I know him, I know his character, I know his father. Um, and I trust him with my daughter. And mm-hmm. so, um, I was able to train her, you know, after she won her first grand slam, but, but, uh, it was really Jimmy, Jimmy Wang, who I, um, was asked to, uh, take a look at, he was an IMG client at the age of 16. And it, I remember it's at the Canadian open juniors, uh, when the vice president of IMG called me and said, I want you to get to know this kid. I want you to get into his pocket. I want you to know what he has for, for uh, breakfast. I, I want you to know 
everything about him. And so I became uh, attached to Jimmy and watched all his matches at the Canadian. And I remember when he started his semifinal match, his father uh, walked up to me and um, he said, I just want to let you know my, my son is now in your hands. And I turned around and he left. He went back to Taiwan. Wow. He literally left his son uh, with me for the next four years. Um, I had him and um, we played the U.S. Open Juniors the next uh, tournament. And he got to the finals of the 18 and unders at just 16 years old. Wow. He was ranked number three in the world in juniors. And so I started training him and IMG was gracious enough to allow me to to forego all my other duties and just focus on him. And so, uh, you know, for 40 weeks a year, we would travel on the road. And wow. then, uh, you know, for another 10 weeks, uh, we'd be training uh, back at the campus. And then, you know, we'd always take a couple of years off. And so he uh, basically played his first pro tournament at uh, 17 and then by the time he was 20 um, we had played the challengers the the 25s and then moved up to the 50s and then up to the hundreds and then next thing we know um, he's in the uh, main draw of all the grand slams and uh, he ended up playing Andy Roddick on center court at Wimbledon which was a great experience for both of us and um he reached uh, 60, 69 in the world at the age of 20. Wow. And, and then um, one of the only things that I had trouble with Jimmy was motivating him to do his off-court conditioning. Right. You know, I would plead and beg with him uh, to focus in, on uh, his off-court conditioning. And I explained to him, you know, Jimmy, you're going from junior tennis to playing against full-grown men who are hitting the ball twice as hard, much heavier, much deeper. And if you don't get in the gym and if you don't start, because he was very skinny. Right. And uh, I said, if you don't improve your strength and conditioning, you know, you're going to get injured. And uh, because these guys just, and and the schedules demanding, it's it's a whole whole different world. Physical, mental burnout, everything. It's a whole different world. So anyway, um, we were at his peak and he was parallel with Maria Sharapova. They were the same age. They uh, rose in the rankings, very same, identical, um, symmetrical. So I sent him to play Davis Cup uh, for his country. And uh, he basically had no supervision. Nobody would make him stretch and do the things that I would. And so he was playing Davis Cup, caught a ball late and ripped all the ligaments in his wrist and couldn't hit a tennis ball for another four years after three major surgeries. So he he lost his ranking. Um, IMG dropped him. And uh, basically he just faded and uh, he tried to make a comeback and made it, you know, to as high as 200 in the world. But that was, that was it. He missed his opportunity just because of uh, simply that one little lack of discipline in that one area costing, costing his whole career. You know, that is an amazing story because a lot of juniors can learn and listen into this you know, about the balance it takes to be a champion and the coaching and not only the coaching, but the commitment that comes from juniors. And a lot of times they get frustrated or they're just not all in, you know, to, to want to achieve that, that it's how tough it is to get to be in the top 50 of the world. You know, yeah. we know the top 10, how that is another whole nother conversation, right. Mm-hmm. To get to there. But uh, just knowing that he got to 69 and he, he had a lot of ability, and it's just one area that can hold you back if you're not totally into it. And as coaches, you can only do so much, right? You I mean, can. You can. I mean, I would yeah. beg and plead, and we had, we were fortunate at that time to have Pat Etcherberry uh, to be right. doing all of our uh, strength and conditioning for the tennis. You know, Fritz is the one that brought him from University of Kentucky. He was the football conditioning 
coach for University of Kentucky football, and and Fritz went to Nick and said, I've, I, I know a guy that can take over our conditioning program and take it to a whole nother level, in which right. Pat did. He he uh, turned the whole conditioning program around at IMG. And, um, you know, I, I would even have talks with, with – uh, with Pat about how to motivate Jimmy and uh, you know, even Pat couldn't, he couldn't motivate, he couldn't get Jimmy to do anything in the gym. It was just a mental block. And uh, I had a talk with him one day and and he just looked at me and he he said, Scotty, you know, I've gotten to to this high uh, without ever doing off court conditioning. And and I'm, I I don't ever, I don't think I ever have to do it. And, right. you know, that was his downfall. Um, and that's what cost him. And then the ironic thing was um, when he made his comeback, he got into strength and conditioning so much, he overcompensated and became huge and bulky and strong, which, yep. which you lose all your flexibility. Right. And so, you know, he realized the mistake that he made and, and, and then he overcompensated and coming back and, and that uh, limited him as far as uh, what, what he you, could have done. You bring done. up a good point on flexibility and strength, and I'm, I'm going to give you two players and just give me your input. Like Roger Federer seems to be like a deer, graceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's Up until just this past year, he's been able to play in just about every major until he just had a knee surgery, right? Right. And what is he – uh, mid late mid mid upper thirties now. Yeah, he's, yeah, thirty seven. Yeah, he's thirty seven. He's getting up take, there. Then you take Rafa Nadal, who's like a bull, who's won like I I, I want to say eleven, twelve, or thirteen French Opens. How many has he got? Do you know, top of your head, at least eleven, twelve. Yeah, he's up there. I know he's he's got a. <clears throat> I think he won like seven in a row. He's he's. He's, he's up there. He's yeah. yeah. Bo- we thought Borg, you know, had the record right. at five. Yeah, he's That's got like he's, eleven or he's yeah. twelve or thirteen. He's up there. And, and that, I know Rogers got seven or eight Wimbledons, and he's won on every surface. Right. Rafa's won on every surface as well, including multiple Wimbledons. And he's got uh, he's the clay king by far. That's right. Double anyone else. And a lot of and that then, has uh, to do up with where where you're born. You know when. When you're born in Spain, they don't have, the they don't they don't have hard courts. Yes, they're on the clay constantly. It's, it's right? only only clay. So you learn. My, my question to you is this flexibility and nimble and you know because Rafa has been hurt a few times and had to back off you know with his legs, but he you know that's because of the hard courts. Not you know he grew up playing a lot on that clay. What is do you think has given Roger that edge, him and Djokovic, as far as the flexibility? You think flexibility is a big part of that, or flexibility is huge? Yeah, yes. it's it's just as important as strength. I mean, you have to be flexible, um, but that's what's helped Roger uh, stay in, you know, mostly injury free for all these years, is his uh, discipline to his off court training, right? in his stretching and his diet and the things that a lot of people don't, don't consider getting enough rest and knowing when to, to, to take time off. Uh, there's, there's no off season in, in pro tennis. Right. Around the clock. You know, it? Yeah. The only, off, the, the only off the season is really after the U S open uh, before the Australian, you know, the U S opens in like sept- or August, September, the Australians in January, so that's the only off season. But then, and if you're a top player, you end up playing in that that Eng- that tournament in England. Well, you, you yeah, call that. you end up yeah. playing in the World Championships. Yeah, the World Championships, which is where the only only the top eight are invited yes. to play in that. You get qualified based on ATP points. That's I right. Believe. So only the yeah. top eight play that, and that does extend their season uh, right. for another couple months. So it really makes it uh, a year round no break uh time for your body to rejuvenate and, and rest even m- mentally you know as far as physi- physically scott scott man i tell you this has been fun i know we've had you on now for probably right out of that like 55 minutes when you count the personal piece of this that we, we came back on so i want to get you back on again if i'd love to get you back and talk more about some other individuals that you, you know, I know Jimmy Aries is one we talked about earlier before we got on. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of stories and a lot of people. And if you'd love, if I could get you back some other time, sure. man, we'd love to get you back on. Absolutely. Uh, Anytime, Tyrone. 
I wanted to just kind of finish with a, uh, I'll give you a, what comes to mind. Okay. Just kind of what comes to mind. Take a, you, and you can respond with like a sentence or two if you want to. Okay. Um, growth mindset. Growth mindset um, just comes from a lot of, I believe, off-court mental conditioning. Um, there's so much uh, in between the ears, you know, that you have to learn even in, in between points. You know, you, there's four stages of mental toughness. You know, after each point, you, you have the relaxation phase for four seconds. And then you have um, the preparations, uh, the preparation stage. And then, and then you have uh, what you're going to do on the next point. Um, and then you, and you go through your routine, you know, of the same bounces. So even between points, um, you have to have uh, a place that your mind goes and, and taps into all four of those uh, um, four stages of mental toughness. Um, the first one, the first one is actually positive physical response so that, you know, if you miss, you don't get down, you just say, okay, right. I'm going to make an adjustment on the next one and stay positive, stay right? positive, stay positive. And, and learn from, yeah. you got to reflect quickly and make adjustments. Your, yeah. Your, your yeah. brain's like a computer. Uh, the, yeah. the longer the match goes on, the more information you have stored in your computer, the better right. you should be playing as the match goes. Very responding. That's yeah. right. Making adjustments. It's all making adjustments on the court. Next one is teamwork. Teamwork. Uh, mainly that's going to come with your college tennis, uh, such an individual sport. Um, so college tennis comes to mind first. But, you know, at the college, at the pro level, uh, you, you got to have your head coach. You need a sports psychologist. You need somebody that's a, a trainer that can do your stretching and flexibility um, so it, it, it takes a, a team around somebody. I know Andre had, you know, four or five, uh, guys that traveled with him, uh, even his strength and conditioning coach, Ray Gillis. I remember um, Ray from, yep. uh, university of Nevada, Las Vegas. He was their strength and conditioning coach. And then Fritz recruited him to help Andre with his, uh, and that's when Andre, uh, his game had kind of gone into the tank. Right. And then he started working with Ray Gillis and got his strength up to where it was his best ever. And that, he was like a bull, man. That's, he just crushed the ball. That's when he, that that's when he made yeah. his comeback, you know, and, yeah. and, and did just as well on his comeback uh, after really dedicating himself uh, to the off-court. Off the next room. one is champion. Champion. What do you think about when you're a champion? Champion <clears throat> takes yep. a lot of ingredients. Um takes a lot of hard work, a lot of focus, a lot of discipline. Um, and it also takes a little bit of luck because uh, you have to stay injury free. You know, I, I just one example, um, the left handed guy, uh, I can't think of his name at the time, but <clears throat> he was the top three or four in the world. Um, uh, and he uh, was putting his rackets in his car after a tournament in a, in a car hit him and broke his legs. And Thomas Mooster. Thomas Mooster, yeah, from Austria. Yep. Yep. And so he, he ended his career just out of sheer bad luck. Yeah, I love that guy's forehand on the clay. Yeah. Uh, the next one is most memorable win for you. You've had so many, but what would be – it could be junior tennis. It could be whatever. Um, I'd probably have to say – Jay Berger off the top of my head. Um, oh, he was okay. ended up number three in the world. I love Jay Berger's serve, the way he cocked it back. <laughs> yeah. I, I hurt my shoulder a couple times, and I, I had to do that just to survive yeah. some summers playing. <clears throat> that's an abbreviated serve. And yeah. you can actually get some speed off that serve if you bend your knees and you can, catch it out in front and pronate it. You, you can know? because, really, the power comes from the forward swing. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't get any power from the back swing. That just sets right. you up in the correct trophy position so that you can maximize your, you know, your kinetic, uh, just the way your body's put together. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's – Jay Berger, that's a good win, dude. Yeah, yeah. Jay Berger. That was an interesting match. I, I, hey, yeah, really, tell us about it real quick. Take take a couple Well, he, he was seated third, and um, he really didn't know who I was. It was a national hard court. It's out in Berlin, Game, California. And um, I knew 
all about him. I knew about his game. He was great ground strokes. He could toy with me from the baseline. So I realized I had to play every point at the net or I wouldn't have a chance. So I was a serving volleyer, so I serving volleyed on both serves. And I chipped and charged on every second serve that he hit. So I won the first set 6-2 and then um, kind of woke him up and got his competitive juices going. And um, it was a fight in the second set. And this, the, the one remarkable thing about the match, and the only reason I bring it up was it was uh, – Six five me in the second. The score was deuce. I hit a ball. Uh, no, he hit a ball that was an inch out, and I called it out. And he just started freaking out and screaming, saying I'm cheated him. And right. so I knew him well enough and how competitive he was that I I put my hand up and said I want a lines judge. He said, What are you talking about? You're up match point. And I said, I don't care. I want a lines judge because I knew that I, would, I could hit a ball down the middle of the court <laughs> and he would call it out. Right. So I went and got a lines judge on match point. And, it, and if I hadn't have, I probably would have lost the match because on match point, um, he had a ball that was an inch out. And uh, um, I called it out and he started freaking out. But I had the lines judge there. And uh, he said, you know, how was that shot? And the and line just said that ball was just out. Match is over. So um, it's just kind of thinking yep. ahead like that. You, you had know, to, man. It's, it's doggy dog, man. You had to do that. Yeah. Hey, let me uh, ask you two more questions. Favorite <clears throat> tennis racket, your favorite tennis racket you ever played with? Oh, definitely. I love the, the Prince Graphite 110 when it came out. Okay. Um, you know, everything went – I started with wooden rackets and then it went to aluminum. Right. I played with the Redhead. And then uh, and then the, the Prince Pro um, was my favorite racket I played with through my whole career. I love that P- Prince Spectrum. You remember that one? Oh, sure. White oh, yeah. I, I played 10 years with it. Loved it. Yeah. And I've got a buddy that still plays with that Prince uh, Graphite you're talking about. Yeah. He gets them on eBay. He That's all he plays with. He would never play with anything I else. I know. It's a class. And they still uh, – there's guys playing with them. What about your last question? What's your favorite pro football team? Just to shake it up a little bit. Oh, I definitely have to say the Tampa Bay Bucks, just because I live in this area. I had season, right. season tickets. Um, I remember the I was coaching Jimmy in Dallas uh, when they played the Super Bowl under John Gruden against the Raiders and uh, I was keeping one one eye on Jimmy's match and another eye on the Super Bowl and watched them uh, win it uh, way back then. So now that they're back in the Super Bowl and Tom Brady, it's just great to see them come full circle. And uh, so just having season tickets. So what's your, give, give us the final score of the Super Bowl next Sunday. Um, uh, it's, it's going to be a great game. I mean, you got Patrick Mahomes and mm-hmm. such a great uh, cast of characters around him with Tyreek Hill and the tight end there, and and uh, and then Brady. You know, he's got got his own arsenal. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a toss up between the old school mm-hmm. and the new school, basically. So right. it's it's really really hard to predict. Just, just, uh, just, uh, oh. just to make it fun, I'll give you. A, you give a score, and then I'll give a score, and then we'll call each other right. after the Super Bowl. I don't, All I right. don't know the line, but I'd say the Chiefs, uh, even though they're playing at, at uh, right. Raymond James in Tampa, I, I'd say the Chiefs are probably favored by three or or four. Right. Um, so I'm going to go with the upset, just to be a homeboy, and uh, mm-hmm. go with Tom Brady and his mm-hmm. experience. Um, I really think Kansas City has the better team, um, but I, you know it's like a tennis match. I always tell my students, you don't have to be better than the other player; you only, right. you only have to be better than them for for one hour. For that's for right, four, I love that for, man. for forty-eight. I'm going to take. I'm going to steal that from you. I'll, I'll tell everybody where I got it, but it's only about that day. That's right. That for that match, that's right. Be better than that person if you're more mentally prepared. Exactly. So give me a score. Give me a score. Uh, I'm going to say 37-34. It's going to be a tight one. I'd say you know it's going to be within a uh, touchdown or field goal. So, so it's going to be a nail biter. Very entertaining. I think they're, they're pretty evenly matched. 
But um, I'm going to go with the experience right now. Let me write that, let me write that score down <clears throat> so I don't forget about it. 37 so, 34. 37 to 34. And you're taking Tampa. Taking the Bucks Bay. at home. Bucks. That's okay. Worth three points. I'm going to go 31 21. Okay. And I'm going to go Tampa Bay. There you go. All right, All right buddy. Sounds hey, great. Man, I really appreciate you taking time tonight uh, to share. Uh, your passion for tennis, your love for the game, and some of your uh, your your experiences, uh, which is going to be really beneficial to some coaches out there and to some players. And uh, this will be heard around Kentucky and around the the globe because I have a Kentucky Tennis a Sport for Life mm-hmm. Facebook site. Yes, uh, that we've got thirty two hundred global fans on there across Kentucky and the world. You do a so wonderful we'll, job we'll with that. that. That's... I appreciate. It. We, we just want to promote the game and. Um, we appreciate you promoting the game and sharing your 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 passion. And Thank you, Tyrone. Giving us the time. I really appreciate you thinking about me and having me on. It's a great privilege. I've, I've... Well, you're my uh, third guest, so congratulations. It's uh, uh, Thank you, buddy. I had uh, Alan Fox and and uh, Dick Gould, yep. and now I've got the the infamous, famous. Uh, Scott Hill. <clears throat> so thank I don't you, know God. about that, but thank you very much hey, for your time. I appreciate, I appreciate everything, you. Tyrone. All right, you take care of yourself. Okay, buddy. We'll talk.